welcome along to the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio on the Saturday morning. Good morning, Warwick. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, listeners. How are you? Fine? Fantastic. Yeah? Fantastic, yeah. The weather's been what so good. What a gardening good. week. It's been brilliant, really. The last five or six week, weeks have been just exceptional gardening weather and it's promised right through into next week as well. And dare I say it, no sign of rain. Uh, or, or very little. If very, we have, very little, yeah. yeah. But quite a good heavy dew at night time. But um, I suppose, you know, listeners need to be thinking about uh, particularly newly planted plants and plants in containers. They will need to be watered. We do have a request from the water board as well to conserve water. So people should not be watering lawns or. And things like existing trees and shrubs that have been in the ground for over a year will be perfectly fine. There's plenty of moisture beneath the soil for those plants. So don't be worrying about established trees and shrubs and hedging um, and, and plants that have been in the garden that are well established. They will be perfectly okay. There's plenty of, of moisture once we go down. But newly planted plants certainly put a focus around them. You can recycle water. So lots of the water that we use in our home for washing vegetables or washing dishes or, you know, uh, water with sudsy water, dirty water mm. is perfectly fine for plants. So you can use that and reuse water. And uh, you know, another good tip is to, if you have plants in containers, to get yourself a couple of saucers. So they're available in your local garden centre. You can slip them in under the pot and that holds a reservoir of water as well. So you can do these plastic saucers, put your plants into that and... Um, let the plants take the water up from the base. When you're watering plants, remember to water the soil heavily yep. and leave for several days. So don't be out there every evening giving the plants a little sprinkle of water. That's of little use. So water the soil always rather than the plant itself. So newly planted plants, give the soil a good heavy watering and then leave for several days. So don't be out there every day adding water to the plants. They, they don't require that. So prioritise, I suppose, the watering around plants in containers, newly planted plants in particular. And if you can, with plants in pots, put a saucer underneath them okay. and wash them that way. Ideally water in the evening time because it lets the plants soak up that water and, and the compost soak up the water as well. And avoid putting water on the foliage of plants during the, the middle of the day because water acts like some magnifying glass and can often scorch the leaves. Speaking of scorched leaves... Yes, I, I, I've noticed this over the last few days and I, I, I was have. kind of wondering, uh, are we seeing the effects of that wind more so now than we had maybe a week or a we week and sure a half are. ago? I was out actually for a cycle last night and I was just, uh, I won't say admiring, but I was noticing in particular the amount of plants that are scorched with the wind. So first of all, we had the frost two weeks ago. If people can remember, mm -hmm. throw their eyes back to, to two weeks ago. We had the frost which damaged things like potatoes and the tops of beach hedging and so on. So there was a kind of a slight damage. But then we got the, the stormy weather and that really... Uh, hammered a lot of plants. So if you're noticing a lot of browning on hedges, trees, shrubs in general, particularly on the windward side and those people living closer to Westport, Newport, Ackle, coastal areas that are exposed but to that. also inland. Inland uh, as well, yeah, I of noticed course. it in our own garden yesterday yeah. and I looked up and there's a tree and um, the part, uh, quite an old tree there as long as myself and uh, not that I'm old uh, but, <laughs> sorry, but you know you get the gist. I get the idea, uh, yeah, yeah. You're so, yes, I am. Uh, but anyway, it was on the on the side of the road. It was very badly yeah. uh, burnt, and then I could see on the house side it was far greener and more. Absolutely, lush. and that's that's typical of what you're going to see, where a tree will be one side would be perfectly green and healthy looking, and on the windward side it'll be scorched and damaged. And you see, as trees come into growth, 
even hedging plants, the growth is so soft and tender that any bit of frost or wind damage is going to turn it brown. Now, it's a temporary damage, so it's only aesthetically it'll stay on the plants for maybe another two weeks, but the plants will grow out of that again. If you want, if you give your plants a feed, then that will be perfectly fine. If you've got hedges that are damaged, give them a trim because trimming the plant stimulates new growth and the new growth will be perfectly fine, particularly if you feed it. So it's only a temporary setback. Many plants were caught with that that um, damaging wind mm. and have become scorched. And even plants in garden centres and nurseries, talking to some of my nursery colleagues, they have trees that are scorched as well with the wind. And, and uh, so it's very, very common this spring. It's just one of those, that, 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 that early summer growth, it's just been scorched and damaged. Nothing to worry about. So don't be feeling that you have to do something. If you want, give them a light trimming back, give them a feed, and within a couple of weeks, they'll be perfectly fine again. Now, are we talking, I'm just going to kind of run through maybe a range because I see different questions coming in, so we'll try and address these in advance. Um, So that's kind of the advice if it's trees or shrubs or um, the hardier... Hydrangeas or damaged... Hydrangeas, those kind of things. Um, I see some climbing plants, clematis, things like that also uh, have been damaged as a result. So are we talking the same advice... or is there anything everything, different? everything has been have been burnt. It doesn't matter whether you're a tree, a shrub, a hydrangea, or or a bedding plant. Um, anything that was susceptible to that or, or open to that wind um, has been scorched. And and as I say, it's it's a temporary damage. The plants will grow back out of it again. So it's literally just the wind, the physical wind damage, burning the leaves, and the leaves being so sensitive. If it was a month later the leaves would have been toughened up and you wouldn't see the same extent of of damage. And that's why many plants were caught with the frost as well two weeks ago because you had that early tender growth. So Pieris forest flame, for example, lovely plant, as soon as it produces new leaves, the frost came and it burnt them back. But it's only a temporary damage. So it's, it's, um, it's just a bit of physical damage, nothing to worry about. So people are panicking, thinking it's disease problems or it's... Or the plant is gone for the summer. Yeah, yeah. it's gone for the summer. They will come back, mark my words, within two or three weeks, the new growth will be perfectly fine. And particularly if you feed your plants and particularly hedges, those plants that will, for example, with the forest flame in my own garden, I just trimmed it back. I know within two weeks it's going to be back again, a picture. You will have forgotten this conversation in two or three weeks' time. So plants will be perfectly fine. But it, it does look, I mean, even white thorn, all along the, the hedgerows, the white thorn is burnt. Um, you know, the 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 wild um, hedgerows, they're, they're all burnt at the moment. Rhododendrons are burnt. Mm-hmm. So it's just and you go around the corner where plants were a little bit more sheltered they're perfectly fine <laughs> so it's yeah. it's all down to the wind, wind. damage okay. so nothing to worry about people are, are panicking a little bit about it so focus on the watering so focus on the feeding of plants and anything that's been physically damaged give it a light trim give it a feed and it'll be perfectly fine again now this time last year we were really heading for the phoenix park and yeah. we were going to bloom we can't, yeah, we can't do that. This, uh, yeah, you've you'd already given a number of talks, I think, probably. I had, yeah. Um, that can't happen this year, but no. there is an alternative. There is indeed, and, and Borbia, in fairness to them, are doing a virtual Bloom at Home, which kicks off tomorrow uh, on RTE and also on Facebook. So if people just Google Bloom at Home, uh, what they're encouraging, I suppose, is and giving advice right through from 11 o'clock in the day till 5pm. There are various different uh, talks and seminars um, it's kicking off with, with our, our president, Michael D, is going to address the nation. Um, and then they, they have somebody from Borbia speaking. But from there on in, it's all advice from 11.30 through till 5, advice on 
getting a bit of colour and getting your own garden blooming this year. And this is the time of year that we celebrate bloom and in particular things like cottage garden plants, the lupins and the delphiniums and the alliums and the hostas mm-hmm. and all the plants that are so associated with bloom. Um, you can plant at this time of year. So if you want to recreate a little bit of bloom in your own garden, look for some perennial plants, things like the alstroemerias or the lovely red salvias that are flowering at the moment. Lupins are a picture at the moment. Um, Foxgloves, alliums, all of those plants you can plant in your own garden. Fuchsia has just come into flower and, and is absolutely beautiful. I had a few of them here in the studio last week. So check that out. It's Bloom at Home. Um, it's available on, on their Facebook page, um, but also RTE are giving it quite a lot of coverage uh, tomorrow and well we're tuning in there's lots of hints and tips and advice yeah, and I think and people can upload their photographs and it's kind indeed. of there's a kind of a sharing facility exactly and, uh, I suppose a community coming together online uh, and celebrating the gardening and the flowers and uh, I suppose a lot of what people probably have been up to over the last exactly. number of weeks and many gardens are looking absolutely beautiful roses have come into flower early you know lots of plants are really blooming really well so they are encouraging people to take photographs and videos and share them um, on the, the Bloom at Home page. So just check out Bloom at Home and there's lots of ways to access the information. But it's a great time of year for planting, albeit it's dry, it is good planting weather as well. Okay, brilliant. Uh, now we're going to take a couple of questions because uh, there are loads in already. Uh, so we're going to start off with a question about ivy growing through Lalandii trees, Porek, uh, and lots of it at the roots. Uh, what should we do to get rid of the ivy? I know you're not a big fan of getting rid of ivy necessarily. Well, it's such a great plant. You know, I always, always, uh, it, for me, it's one of those medicinal plants and great for the bees and so on. Um, and it, it's not parasitic. It uses the the Lilandii more for support and scrambling up along the stems and you often get lots of ivy uh, growing at the roots of plants. Plants like, like Lilandia are well fit to compete with it. I sometimes do advise taking ivy off deciduous trees because the, in the wintertime in particular it can act like a sail and, and cause physical damage to the trees in terms of the wind damage. But Ivy is not parasitic in its nature. It doesn't actually harm the trees. It uses them more for support and and to grow up. Um, if you must get rid of it, you can use something like SBK uh, Weed Control or uh, Weed Free 360. But you must apply it to the ivy and not obviously to the to the foliage of the Lilandii. So if you can um, just direct it. Uh, right at the base of the of the roots and that will control the ivy but unless it's very heavy it's not going to actually do any damage it's probably helping to keep the weeds uh, suppressed at the base of the of the of the lelandii so the lelandii are big and strong and yeah. healthy the ivy is doing no harm whatsoever if they're able to withstand it it's, absolutely it's fine. yeah it's not going to cause any any problems um you know and it, and it's, even at a later stage if you have to cut some of the ivy if you cut it at ground level the top portion dies away so it's always supported. Ivy grows from the roots of, uh, you know, so the, it's taking its nutrition all the way up from the roots. So if you cut ivy right at soil level, the top portion dies away. Okay. Now we have <clears> two <throat> peony roses, three years old with masses of buds. Great. Should I feed them? And if so, with what? Well, they're just, they're in full. Many of them are actually in flower yeah, at, the gorgeous at the yeah, moment. Yeah, beautiful. So uh, give them a high potash feed. So Blooming Magic would be really good. It's a, it's a liquid feed. You mix it in your watering can. So you're not only just feeding the plants, you're actually give them a drink of water as well. And plants as they come into flower like peony roses 
do require uh, moisture. Now, if they're well-established plants, they'll be perfectly fine. But add some of the Blooming Magic liquid feed to a watering can, pour it on, and they'll give them... Do it now, maybe in two weeks' time, and they'll be absolutely magnificent. Okay, now I have a Berberus... finished flowering in a pot in my little yard. How should I prune that? Okay, well, Berberus, Berberus Darwinii is that lovely orange flowering Berberus um, that comes af- named after Darwin, Charles Darwin. Um, but it's a lovely plant and it flowers brilliantly, orange flowers in March and early April. Yes, it's gone out of flower now and it's starting to actually grow. So just trim off six inches, take off the old flowers from the plant and all spring flowering plants, anything that's kind of finishing flowering at this time of year, now is the time to trim them back. So always trim them just after flowering. So literally just trim six inches off the plant with a, a shears, a secateurs or a sharp scissors, give it a feed and the growth it produces this year is where it'll flower next spring. Really nice plant, really hardy thing. Now, um, somebody wondering, when will the nematodes for the root fly in cabbage be available? Um, And also, kind of a second question to this, I potted single begonias lately and the flower seems to have fallen off them. Why did this happen? Okay, well, well, first of all, with the nematodes, the Mm. good news, they're going to be in next weekend. So this coming later on this this week um, and we've got perfect weather conditions for putting them on and the nematodes will control not just cabbage root fly but also uh, leather jackets and chafter grubs and other pests that you'll have in your lawns uh, and so on. Uh, having said they with the root fly for the cabbage, the listener could also, there is a, an actual liquid treatment, an organic liquid treatment that the listener can get mm-hmm. in their local garden centre now. It's simply called uh, root fly for cabbage and carrots. Okay. So if people have carrots in their garden, it would be a good idea to put some of that on to prevent against the carrot root fly later on. So that's a liquid. You mix it in a watering can. It's organic by nature and you drench it onto the roots of the plants and that will control cabbage and uh, carrot root fly. In terms of the begonias, again, probably got a little bit of damage maybe with the wind. Begonias, these are the single flowering, the, the um, Semperflorens variety, and they'll grow back again. Give, give them a liquid feed, they'll be perfectly fine and, and they'll encourage them back on, back on again. Okay, great. We'll come back to the Mary's Tale in a second because I'm asking people to get their pen and paper because we'll give you the name of the Mary's Tale treatment in just a moment because <laughs> uh, we're only doing it once today. Right. Um, just wondering, what to feed do lupins need or do they need feeding? Um, as yeah. I was told, they fertilise themselves. Well, they're in the leguminosae family, so the pea family. So lupins are actually often used as green manure. So you can get a, a particular oh. variety of lupin, yeah, an agricultural seed that you can, if you want to, say, a, an area of ground, a waste piece of ground that you want to add plenty of nitrogen back into the soil in particular. Um, lupins are seen as a green manure in a great way. So anything in the pea family, laburnums, peas and beans themselves, the roots produce, they take nitrogen from the, from the atmosphere and add it to the soil. So they're nitrogen fixation plants is what we call them. So they're they're seen as a green manure. Now, having said that, lupins do benefit from a liquid feed. So a tomato feed or the blooming magic will help to boost them on. They're just on the point of flowering now. And I always associate uh, lupins with bloom itself, the, 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 the June bank holiday. Keep an eye out for green fly on them. That's the one tip. And lupins have a specific aphid called the lupin aphid. It's a big, fat green fly. Is it? Specific to lupins, yeah. Very, very common. And particularly when you get the sort of heat we're having at the moment, keep an eye out for bugs at the moment. If you do notice them on them, put on something like the Bug Clear. Again, it's an organic treatment. Um, it won't damage the lupins, but it will see the aphid off. So give them a liquid feed. Keep an eye out for the aphid. Watch for the slugs as well. They love the, our lupins. 
and uh, apart from that they're going to flower really well. The other tip with lupins is to deadhead them on a regular basis so as soon as the flower is going off say in two weeks time cut off the dead flower and that'll encourage new flowers and if the more you deadhead lupins the longer they're going to flower. It's also the time of year for sowing lupin seed. For next so, year? Well think about it. Yes. They're, they're coming into flower what are the flowers going to do? They're going to produce seed themselves in mid-June and that seed is, is for next year's generation. So if you want lupins in your own garden, cheap and cheerful, buy a couple of packets of lupin seed. There's some lovely varieties like Lulu, which is a dwarf variety. It only grows about two feet high, um, great in windy spots. And you can sow that from seed now to flower this time next year. So will you see a bit of a plant coming oh, on this you year? You will. Sow the seed, uh, a great project for the kids. Yeah. Sow them inside would be my advice and a bit of compost. Cover them with cling film. They'll germinate in two weeks' time, particularly with this sort of heat yeah. that we're getting. The plants will be two inches high by in three or four weeks' time. They'll be a foot high by August, September. And those plants then will die back slightly in the winter to re-emerge next spring and flower the fo- this summer. So perennial plants like lupins, things like foxgloves, lupins, um, delphiniums, they're the perennial plants that come back year after year take a full year from sowing from seed to actually flowering. So sow the seed at this time of year. And so, so if we pop <clears> them up, or we, we put them in, so the yep. seeds in the pots and they come on, yeah. do we then transplant them out this year? Yes. Yeah. Once they're nice and hardy, so I would put them out in the garden anytime from July, early August onwards, and, and they're perfectly frost hardy. So it's a great time of year. And we, we tend to associate the sowing of seed with springtime. Whereas at this time of year in midsummer, you've got the perfect temperatures. I mean, it just couldn't be better. Yeah. You don't have to put on any heat. You literally sit them on a windowsill. The idea of the cling film is to keep the, the compost moist and saving you have to water them. And as soon as you see them germinating, which t- should take about two weeks on a warm windowsill, you just take off the cling film, let them grow on for another week or two, mm. put them into small pots, grow them on for maybe another couple of weeks and then plant them out into the garden soil. Okay, I always think they're fabulous uh, Ah, lupins are great. And they're they're s- such reliable. Yeah, and they're just a, such a lovely blast of colour yeah, as well. Yeah, and great as a cut flower as well. And there's loads of different varieties. The old Ru- Russell hybrids were the real tall lupins, but they tend to get damaged and knocked about a bit. But there's some lovely new varieties like Lulu, which is a small dwarf compact variety, but not equally as spectacular. So you'll know if you've got mirrors still in the garden because it grows like a little conifer and at this time of year it's about a foot high and it looks like a little miniature conifer. It's a, a perennial plant that uh, disappears in the winter and re-emerges unfortunately every every spring and is quite difficult to get rid of. So our traditional uh, weed killers like Roundup are ineffective. You're wasting your time putting Roundup on it. It needs a hormone-based weed killer. So something like something that you would use on your lawn, like Dicofar or the SBK brushwood killer, um, controls mare's tail. So you apply it at this time of year, but you have to repeat it because it uh, mare's tail is extremely. Uh, persistent mm. and and it takes several years really to get rid of it. To be honest, it only grows really about 18 inches in height in total. So if it's in a shrub border or a bed, my advice really is to plant plants that grow taller than that to smother it. So things like Hypericum hidcoat or Hydrangea phantom, those sort of plants that are bushy and strong and vigorous will grow up taller than the mare's tail and suppress it. Because, you know, you, it takes so long to get rid of it with weed killer control. Right. Um, so try the Dicofar and the any of the lawn care based weed killers. You will find effective with it. Um, but 
uh, really long term, you're better to plant plants that are actually going to suppress it. Right. It's kind of a, it, it, there's a number of, uh, I suppose, steps to, yeah. to, to dry and to keep And it's it a real old plant. Like it goes back, they've, they've dated it back to the dinosaur time. Right. And, and well, um, it's, uh, <coughs> but, but it also has good properties in that it, if you cut it and harvest it and mix it with water, it makes a great spray for potatoes to prevent blight. Because the silica, the silica in, um, in the silica is cells. like silicone. Yeah. yeah, so it's got that kind of a jelly substance in the in the um, mare's tail, right. and that's why Roundup can kill it, can it penetrate into the because, leaves because, because of the silica. But that silica also prevents blight on potatoes. So because it almost acts like a covering. It does. It, it's like putting a, a a shield onto the leaf of the potato to stop the. So it does have some merits. It's okay. <laughs> our, our friend, the old mare's tail. It's not all bad. No, so you, you know, it, organically, many of the organic growers actually grow it and, and harvest it and put it into water and make a, a special spray for potatoes and tomatoes to keep blight away. How interesting. Yeah. We're so. going to turn to tomatoes with that. Yes. And Kieran is in Castle Bar. He sent us in uh, a photograph of his tomato plants. They're in the polytunnel. It all looks good to me, Kieran. Uh, there since the end of April. Uh, he thinks they're small. It's the first time he's grown them. He's wondering, is he watering them too much? They are absolutely They're prize winning, I think. Fantastic. <laughs> they're in super condition. So he's doing an absolutely brilliant job. In the photograph, you can see taller varieties further on in the mm. tunnel and the short ones here at the front and there are dwarf tomatoes so you have varieties like Red Profusion or Tumbling Tom uh, or Tumbler which only grow or Totem that only grow about a foot in height but produce a kind of a bushy shape and that's what these the ones in the, in the foreground look like but the tomatoes are in great condition a tip for you Karen, really is to make sure that particularly with the taller varieties you're taking out the side shoots so anywhere that a shoot appears between the main stem and the leaf axle you remove keep them nice and straight and clean and uh, once they start to flower and start to set fruit start feeding them weekly with a high potassium feed like a tomato feed or Bloomy Magic yeah. and that's all that you're going to need but they're absolutely in great condition watering at this time of year kind of once a week really heavy wash the soil heavily and, and leave them for a week uh, you know, at this time of year and then increase that as we go through the summer. But they're in great, Nick. Now, we have a couple of photographs in of um, what purports to be two rose bushes. Yeah. Uh, one, we're told, is doing well. The other is not so good. Firstly, can you tell us what kind of rose bush it is? And secondly, what can we do to help the second one to grow? Isn't it interesting? Like, Isn't this the beauty of WhatsApp that we yeah. can actually see, see the photographs? Because yeah. I'd have gone off on a totally different tangent without that photograph. So these are not rose bushes, first and foremost, but they are a plant called Berberus. It's a purple-leafed Berberus, similar to the one we, we, we chatted about, about earlier. Um, but this is a deciduous variety. The reason I'd say the listener is mistaken for roses is that Berberus is thorny. It's got little thorns on it. Um, so uh, it's thorny to touch. So these are Berberus shrubs. Mm. Very, very easy to grow. They grow in height up to about six feet if you let them. And they do bear a small yellow flower in, in springtime. Um, but they are not rose bushes. So um, the this one, the particular variety, the, one of the berberus the is doing one. really strong. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of grass and weeds at the base of them. So my advice is to clean that away, get rid of the grass and weeds from the plants. And the second berberus is quite small, and it looks like there's a lot of competition between grass and weeds. So just clean them up, give them a feed, and they'll be perfectly fine. But they are not rose bushes. They're not rose bushes. <laughs> okay. Uh, now we've got mm. a small rockery, and we're wondering how do we go about setting shrubs. 
Well, it just quite simply, um, it w- with the rocks and the soil, uh, make sure that you have good quality soil there, weed-free as possible, and, and go for a selection of low-growing alpine plants. So things like dianthus, which are just coming into flower at the moment, or erigeron, which is a lovely plant that uh, produces daisy-like flowers. It's perennial. It comes back year after year. Maybe some of the miniature fuchsias would be nice in the rockery as well. So you're looking for cascading plants, like the Campanula porto I brought you in uh, two weeks ago mm-hmm. with the blue flower. So creeping perennial plants that'll come back year after year, pop into your local garden centre. They'll have lots of them available at the moment. And so you're looking for perennial rockery plants that will come back year after year. Ideally, if the rockery is large, put them in groups of maybe trees just to create that carpet effect. And um, it's a perfect time. Keep them obviously well watered if... You know, once you once you plant them until they become established. Okay, now we've boxwood and pots. Good. Uh, are they go? They're going a little yellow. Is this a problem or is it natural? No, they should be lovely and green and healthy. Now the young growth is a lighter shade of green to the darker older growth. So boxwood. So two things in pots. First of all, they need to be well watered because boxwood needs plenty of water this time of year. Secondly, keep an eye out for the white aphid, which generally comes on boxwood. So you'll notice that it'll be kind of sticky. And and thirdly, put on a treatment called top boxes, which is a, a specific feed for um, boxwood. Okay. Top boxes. So it, you just spray it onto the foliage and that gives them a nice green colour. Now we have a question from St Albans oh, yeah. in uh, the UK. Um, tried unsuccessfully to take cuttings from these hot lips. Yeah. Um, what's the best advice uh, in relation to taking cuttings of them? Also wondering about my tulip flowers. Uh, they're finished now. What's the best way to keep them until next year? Okay, well, with the tulips, you just let them die back like daffodils. Um, give them a couple of liquid feeds as well because they're building up the bulb for ne- next year. If you must lift them, lift them around the first week of July and store them and replant them next year alternatively just leave them in the soil with this hot lips it's a, it's well named this particular plant yeah, it's a salvia uh, okay. salvia hot lips and it's produced these beautiful red flowers red and kind of a light shade of white flowers right through the summer they're just coming into flower at the moment and they go right through until September the way to take cuttings from them is young growth so anytime from now on take a, a, a small kind of side stem about six inches long strip off the leaves pinch out the top of the cutting dip it into some rooting powder and put it into a very gritty mix of perlite and compost about six or eight cuttings into a pot cover them with a polythene bag sit them on your windowsill and they should root in three weeks time it's an easy one to actually propagate from cuttings okay, so give it a go this is a perfect time of year to do it and our listener in St Albans says that uh, they're inspired uh, in relation to the gardening listening to the programme so that's, that's good good to hear now we have um, we have a picture of I think a Thuya it is Borg yeah. um, we don't have a question but I think the picture speaks for itself it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty all, damaged it is it's all gone brown it's gone very very brown and uh, it looks like me to me that it's got Thuya blight which is a a disease. So Thuy is a conifer. You'll know the, the conifer because it smells like pineapple when you touch it and it suffers from a disease called Thuy blight. But looking at the picture, Sorry. those plants are gone too far and, and you're not going to bring okay. them back. There yeah. is time to get rid of it. Sorry, we just see a yeah. question now. Seamus and oh, Cross yeah. Malina. Thanks yeah. indeed. No, uh, there was a few versions of, of the uh, of the picture sent in. Um, okay, so not, n- not good for it. It's not going to recover, no. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Uh, sorry about that. Now bad news this morning. Uh, cherry blossom tree and white beam. They're about thirty foot high. Can I cut them back now? Yeah, well, you can if you yeah if you need to. But they're thirty feet high, is it? Yeah. Yeah, if you need to prune them back. I mean, they're not going to grow much taller than that. Um. So, but if you do need to prune them back, but yeah, you can do it at this time of year. It's a good time to prune them back. 
Okay, great. Um, what should I do with my camellia? It's losing leaves and looks uh, in need of something. Should I cut it back? It gave very few flowers this year. I have fed it a week ago. Doesn't yeah. look too happy, says Helen. It actually doesn't look too bad, Helen. In my book, you've been you've been harsh in yourself. Uh, there's lots of new growth. And camellias, like any evergreen plant, uh, all evergreen plants lose some foliage. That's the way. So the older leaves are generally discarded. Now, there are some yellow leaves on it. The feed that you gave it will certainly bring a nice glossy sheen to it. Repeat that again in two weeks' time. Use an ericaceous feed uh, to feed it. And maybe a light trimming back. It's quite bushy uh, at the moment. But just tip back the the very top shoots. If they get a light trimming back, it'll help to thicken up the plant. But overall, it's it's 80% in, in looking really well. Um, I wouldn't worry about the couple of yellow leaves. You've done the right thing in feeding the plant. So a light trimming back, feed it again in two weeks' time, and it'll be fine. Okay, brilliant. Uh, now, sorry, just scrolling back here. Um, somebody had a question a little bit earlier on, not a f- one with photograph, but I, I pinned it up early. Uh, they have an area of waste ground. They sprayed Roundup on it last summer, Porrick, and it obviously did the job it killed it off but now it's worse than ever uh, this is from John and he's wondering is Roundup the right weed killer to use but I suppose unless you're going to do something with the ground you probably need to keep it sprayed do you? You do yeah the weeds are going to come back I mean Roundup will only kill what whatever it touches it doesn't contaminate the soil in that it doesn't um, prevent weeds from coming back so it kills what, what you apply it to and, and obviously you get plenty of new generation of seeds and weeds coming forward Um if you if if it's a piece of spare ground, something you could consider doing is is planting it with a green manure cover. So something like the phacelia that we mentioned before is a great way of suppressing other weeds, but also of adding manure and um, kind of putting a cover crop across the top of the the um, the ground. So yep. waste ground. If you want to kind of do something kind of purposeful with it. Uh, then planting something like phacelia seed. It's a seed that you buy in your local garden centre. You apply it over the soil. It germinates, it grows. I always advocate it at this time of year because when I go to Bloom in the Phoenix Park, the OPW have planted it in the Victorian wall garden as a a cover crop to prevent weeds and also to feed the soil as well. So that would be something beneficial you could do with the piece of of ground. Otherwise, you're just going to have to um, either let let the weeds grow or... Or use a treatment to, 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 to keep it yeah. to, to keep Roundup, on top of it. You know, just by applying Roundup doesn't mean it's weed free forever. Of course the weeds are going to come back. That's nature at its best. Now we have a photograph in from uh, A in Mulrani um, and a lovely display I th- is it pansies? Pan- pansies, blue pansies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, obviously Mulrani not a million miles from the coast. Wind. Uh, and a bit of wind damage yeah, here. Is that the case? Yeah, a bit of wind damage done on them. You know, I would... Yeah, and they're they're quite scorched. So, yeah, you could give them um, a, a couple of liquid feeds. It should bring them back, um, bring them back into growth again. So it's just a bit of weather damage really on them. Okay. There's still plenty of flowers. St- and, and more will come, will more they? More will come, yeah, yeah. They'll continue to flower right through the summer. Okay, so yeah. just to feed. Yeah. That's a question, uh, the, I think, Nemesia Vanilla Porrick. Yeah. Um, so purchased and looks a bit straggly, but I fed it and repotted it and now it looks sick. Should I cut it back and hope it might come yeah. back stronger? Trim it back, trim back. Uh, so looking at it, there's lots of green growth right, right at the base. The top wood looks a bit tatty, all right. So give it a trim back with a shears or or a secateurs or a scissors and within a couple of weeks it'll start to regrow again you get lots of flowering the beauty with nemesias is they flower right through to September 
So okay. they just continue to bloom. Now we have a picture in from Jean in Swinford and it's a yellow kind of a flower um, and she's wondering, would we know what it is? It would like, you know what it is? Yeah, the picture, it looks like Coreopsis, which is a perennial plant, lovely yellow flowering plant, kind of spreads across the ground and flowers the whole summer long. Lovely, lovely little thing. Okay, great stuff. Now we have a three foot high and 24 foot long wall that we would like to cover with ivy. Okay, so this is different from the killing ivy question. Uh, can you give some advice on the best way to do this, asks Martina. Okay, so the varieties to go for are some of the, the attractive variegated varieties. So you've got varieties like Gold Child, which is beautiful, kind of yellow, variegated and green leaves. You've got Gold Heart, Gloria de Moringo, which is a beautiful white flower or white leafed ivy. And the beauty with ivy, like wild ivy it's evergreen it self clings it'll root to the wall itself and it's very very easy to maintain so space the plants about a metre apart make sure the planting hole you've got a good 18 inches to 2 feet of soil um, just simply plant the plants spread them out left and right with a few electrician clips clip them onto the wall and away it goes and Every once a year, give it a light trimming back uh, when, it, when it matures. And apart from that, it'll cover the wall and save you painting. It'll give you 12 months of colour. Brilliant. It's fab, fab, really. Now, I set parsley seeds and basil seeds and lettuce seeds on May the 1st. Yeah. Should they be appearing by now? I'm watching them every day. I have them in a glass house, watering them, but not over-watering them. Okay. Well, they should be. They should be appearing definitely by now. And this is this is my advice, really. When you're sowing seeds, the reason I advocate using the cling film is that it saves the need for washing because the danger is that you forget them for a couple of days, the surface of the soil dries out, the seeds dry out, and then you rewater again and you get, you know, it's not the ideal conditions. So when you're sowing the seeds of parsley or basil or any of those plants, the greenhouse is a perfect location for them. Have the compost moist, cover them with cling film and you don't have to touch them for two or three weeks until such time as they germinate. And the cling film creates that microclimate that keeps the seeds and the compost quite moist and quite a high temperature and you just get a far better germination. So my advice really would be to cover those trays with some cling film. So water them, cover them and leave them till you see the the, um, seeds germinating. Parsley can be a bit erratic in its germination. So parsley is not one of those uh, seeds that you get a lovely flush of of germinating seeds all at the same time. Doesn't all come up together? No. So um, you have to kind of bear with that and maybe sow some fresh seed of the the parsley again. But use the cling film, you'll find it so much so easier and more successful. Brilliant. Now, a question from Pat uh, Loftus in Manchester. Pat, good morning to you. Um, It relates, uh, it sent in on the email uh, to a plum tree, Porik. He planted a plum tree five years ago. There are plenty of leaves, but still no plums grown. And he's not sure why. Grateful if you could uh, give us a mention and uh, answer the question. Yeah, and very common with plum trees. They can take up to five to seven years to settle down to fruiting. So uh, typically when you plant them, they grow and grow and grow and put on lots of leafy growth for a number of years. And then once they settle down to flowering, they, they're reliable after that. So uh, unlike apple, apple trees tend to come into flowering and fruiting as young trees. Plums take a little bit longer. You can help to encourage that by the use of sulphate of potash applied at this time of year to help with the... So potash basically slows the plant down and helps to induce it into flowering. And you'll get a small tub of that in your local garden centre. Sulphate of potash applied to the base of the plant, repeat in about a month's time, and that will bring them into flower and fruit. So it's not a case that they'll never fruit. Plum trees will, but they just need to settle down and get out of those teenage years. 
Okay, lovely. Uh, now, we have uh, a plant, Porik. Uh, it's growing up through nice white roses. Don't know what it is or how I get rid of it. Uh, Mary's wondering, what's the story? <laughs> we might just move you over to the other microphone, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, the, so the picture shows us the, uh, the cord line. A cord line growing right up through a, a white rose. So the cord line probably was there back in the frosts in 2008, was it, or 9 or 10 or whatever it was. It was 2010, I, 2010. I, I, yes, I, I recall it rather well yeah. for not necessarily the right reasons, but yeah. anyway. So so many cord lines were actually burned to the ground and re-emerged. And this is looks exactly what has happened here. So we have a picture of a rose with a cord line. And the cord line is actually in flower. So you've got two plants together. Now, what are you going to do? So. Uh, because I think both of them are I, I would actually leave them be and let the rose kind of grow around the cord line because the cord line now is standing about a foot above the rose um, so just leave the two together I think it looks fine to be honest and um, they'll it's be a, perfectly I mean, happy it's, it's, I suppose it's, it shows you what happens in the garden yeah. and some things you uh, don't legislate for and Yes, the, the the result can be actually quite it, lovely. I think it looks it looks it looks well, and the cord line would be there then in the winter time because it's evergreen. So I would leave the two together; they look really well. Okay, uh, now Alva's wondering: Can you tell her how to prevent begonia bulbs uh, being they're saved from previous years from getting too tall and lanky? Okay, well, what to do is begonias should be potted at this stage and growing really strongly. And if you pinch out the top shoots, so the very very kind of any leggy shoots, just literally pinch them back. You can cut them with a scissors or you can pinch them back with your finger and thumb and that helps to thicken out the begonias. So um, keep them in a nice bright area. You can nearly start planting them out of doors from next week on. So once we get into the first week of uh, June after the bank holiday weekend, start putting your begonias out into the garden soil. Okay. But pinch them back. That makes them lovely and bushy. Question on feed for beetroot. Each year my beets reach thinning stage, which I do, and after that they stop growing. Oh, that's unusual now because beetroot is, is a very easy plant to grow. A great fertiliser for, for most root crops is the Vitex Q4. So it's a very good blend of different fertilisers, particularly suitable for vegetables. So try that with, with beetroots. Um, you know, sow the seed thinly. Uh, I brought in the, the rainbow mix last week uh, where the, the, all yes. the various colours. That's generally a very successful one to sow as well. Or you'll get beetroot on the tape. Uh, you know, Sutton's do oh. a, a beetroot tape, which again, saves the need to actually have to thin them um, so literally you just spread the, the tape the beetroot tape out cover with soil give it a good watering and they germinate at the correct distance and, and grow on fine but try the Vitex Q4 that's a very good fertiliser for uh, beetroots and carrots and turnips and suede in particular Okay we're just a couple of minutes left so we'll do a couple of quick fire ones I think Porik uh, How long does it take for copy, copper beech to form a hedge? Depends what size you put them in, but it's slow growing. It'll grow about a foot a year. You're looking at kind of six to seven years before you've got a kind of a decent edge. Great. When is the best time to divide hostas? Uh, Any time kind of from uh, October right through till mid-March. They're in full growth at the moment. And so I would leave them be uh, until autumn, early winter or next spring. Literally, literally just dig them up, split them with a spade. They're so easy to divide and uh, replant them. 
Now, how do I save my onions? Most of them rot every year. I bring them in dry and put them on wire racks in my tunnel. Oh. What's the best way to save them? Well, it sounds like you're doing everything everything necessary. Um, a, a really good variety that stores extremely well is one called Bedfordshire Champion. Uh, you sow it from seed at this time of year. It grows really well and stores. It just has is a particular variety that stores particularly well. But the normal procedure, the, the listener is doing everything they can at the moment. So it's literally just uh, making sure they're as dry as possible. Now, last autumn was quite damp and quite wet. This sort of weather, particularly, when they, when if, uh, particularly in autumn, September, if you get this kind of sunny, dry weather, that's the best sort of weather to store onions. Um, but they really need to, to dry out quite a bit. But try the Bedfordshire Champion. It's a very good variety and customers tell me how, how wonderful it is for storing. Okay, great. Uh, so we have one or two for identification here. Yeah, that's for a it. lily. Yep. So that's, so that's, a, that's from Mavis. Uh, Mavis, good morning to you. Looks really good. And the buds are on it. Yep. So it's going to be flowering in another kind of two weeks. Um, so it's one of the lily lilliums. Uh, she obviously planted it from, from a bulb. And lovely. It's going to be lovely in a couple of weeks' time. Wild garlic. It has died off. Will it grow back? Yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the ransoms, the, the um, uh, perennial garlic. It's a wild garlic. It makes fantastic pesto in, in, in the springtime. Lovely, lovely to eat in the spring. White flowers that bees love. And yes, it will. And it, it actually spreads as well so it's one of those plants that you'll have forever okay brilliant and uh, on the lily front which yeah. we just talked about do, do do they need a liquid feed lilies well like all plants um if you if you give them a liquid feed they're going to flower better so yeah again you use the blooming magic or a tomato feed just to give them a bit of a perk at this time of year and it's this is the time of year Deirdre, when we start to feed plants so if you've got hanging baskets or window boxes or plants in tubs and containers of course a liquid feed they're actively growing now particularly with this heat and that's just going to bring them on so much better. And generally we liquid feed every two weeks. Okay. And dahlias as well, people dahlias, wondering, should yeah. they feed them? Feed them, absolutely, yeah. Um, so again, you know, the f- hopefully the frost of, the risk of frost has gone now. So again, from kind of next week on, you could be putting your dahlias out. And regular feeding just brings on the growth, brings on the flowers, particularly a high potash feed, like a tomato feed or uh, the Blooming Magic feed. Okay, we're going to finish up on this one. What's the best time to move a peony from a pot to the ground? Well, the fact that it's in a pot, you could actually move it now. And any plant that's in a container that's confined within a, a tub, if you lift it carefully, transplant it, give it a good watering, it'll it'll transplant it this time of year, no problem at all. So, But don't be tempted to dig any peonies up out of the ground and transplant them. So anything in a pot, there's no problem whatsoever. As long as you water it, you can move it okay. now. Brilliant. So we're going to leave it there for this morning. Talk, do it all again next week. We'll do it all again next week. <laughs> so enjoy the week. And, and, the, and the bank holiday weekend as well. And uh, just perfect gardening weather, I think, at the minute. So make hay, as they say. Uh, don't forget, uh, the programme will be podcast as well. So uh, that should be up in the next 45 minutes or so. Thanks for all of your questions and apologies if we didn't quite get uh, to yours, owing to volume. That's it from the gardening programme and from me for this week. Stand by, Michael Neary on the way next uh, with Country Classics here on Midwest Radio right through until one o'clock this afternoon. Good morning to you.